Good morning, Grace family. Our reading today is Exodus chapter 4. You can follow along with me in your, with your personal Bible or the Pew Bible, page 47. Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? He said, A staff. And he said, Throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent, and Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, Put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it in his hand, that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Again the Lord said to him, Put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, Put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, then they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. And the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the ground. But Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, Oh, my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be glad in heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. And take in your hand this staff with which you shall do the signs. Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. And the Lord said to Moses and Midian, Go back to Egypt, for all the men who are seeking your life are dead. So Moses took his wife and his sons and had them ride on a donkey and went back to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the staff of God in his hand. And the Lord said to Moses, When you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your power. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, 
Let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. Then Sipporah took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it and said, Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. So he let him alone. It was then that she said, A bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. The Lord said to Aaron, Go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and met him at the mountain of God and kissed him. And Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord with which he had sent him to speak, and all the signs pardon me, that he had commanded him to do. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. Aaron spoke all the words the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in sight of the people. And the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshipped. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Libby. Exodus chapter 4. So we're working through the first 15 chapters of Exodus between now and the Christmas season. We're in chapter 4. You can see our subtitle up there on the screen, From Slavery to Glory. From slavery to glory. And you know what? That's, that's our story. We're just saying, this is my story. So our story, slavery to glory, where we are folks, we are the people of God that were once slaves, and now we are gloriously rescued. We once were trapped building structures to man's own glory, stuck no way out, but now we are saved, saved, saved. In today's story, we're going to talk about a crisis of confidence. Trusting God in your crisis of confidence. Have you ever had a crisis of confidence? Yeah. Okay. So the rest of y'all can leave. The, the, the four of us who have will stay, and we're going to talk about it. <clears throat> a lot of you know that I, I have struggled uh, with anxiety in my own life. Two, May of 2021, so two Mays ago, the anxiety hit me hard. Um... I can't, I can't do this anymore. I cannot get up in front of people. I am not the one, I am not, I am no longer the best person for this job. You all need to find somebody else to do this. I can't do this. And I get it, anxiety is a complicated thing. So medicine, therapy, <laughs> Here I am, but the Lord, right? The Lord. 
Have you ever had a crisis of confidence? Moses, okay, Exodus 3. Mark preached Exodus 3 last week. God shows up in a bush, for goodness sake. And I, I am, I am, I will be with you. I, you are going to get out. You are going to come back to this same mountain and worship me. Chapter 4, verse 1 should read like this. Let's go. That should have been Moses' response. It's not, is it? But behold, they won't believe me or listen to my voice. Verse 10, Lord, I'm not eloquent. I've never been eloquent. I'm slow of speech and tongue. And then 13, just, just send somebody else. We see him spire. He's, try, he's trying. He's trying to get out of this. He's trying really, really hard to get out of this. Please, God, don't do this to me. Don't ask me to do this. Have you ever been there? This might be a good place for us to pause and remember something important as we're going to work through Exodus. Exodus is written years after it happened. And it's written for the people of Israel as they are going to go into the land of Canaan. So I'm flash-forwarding us ahead 40-plus years, a generation later. They're the ones who are going to hear this and read it, and it's written to remind them as they are going to have a crisis of confidence before they walk into the promised land and see all the giants and the walled cities, before they have a crisis of confidence that paralyzes them, they're hearing about their leader who also had a crisis of confidence. The great Moses was paralyzed by his fear. What about you? What about me? You see, if the Christian life if the Christian life was God saves us, and then he says, all right, now just coast until heaven. I don't really need you to do anything. Just, just, just do whatever you're going to do. Eventually, I'll beam you up, and it'll all be good. But that's not the Christian life, is it? In fact, God asks us to do something, doesn't he? It's on the screen. Go. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Hey, Moses, go. Uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> go make disciples. Go rescue your people. Go teach them everything I have commanded you. And guess what? I'm going to be with you. Moses, go. Go, Moses, go. Go to Egypt, go to Pharaoh, I will be with you. You see, your life isn't much different. I mean, I get it, I get it, you're not going against a superpower, I get that. But in the real sense you are, his name is Satan, and he's against you, and he's, he's tricky. He wants to thwart you. And one of the main ways he wants to thwart you is to make you have a crisis of confidence. I will not be listened to. 
You want me to go make disciples, but God, I won't be listened to. I can't talk good. Please just have somebody else do it. That's why we hire pastors. Right? And then your pastor stands up and says, he's got a crisis of confidence, and you're like, oh, now what are we going to do? <laughs> no, what's happening? Okay. We're going to draw out six things from this chapter, six things to know and do when you have a crisis of confidence. Okay? Here we go. Six things. Number one, trust the power of God. When Mo Moses said, behold, they're not going to believe me, they're not going to listen to me, okay, okay, great. I'm going to give you three signs. Look at, watch my power. <laughs> Look, listen, God, these three signs, God's not just doing cool party tricks, y'all. This isn't, he didn't go to the magic shop and buy a kit and say, okay, stick on the ground becomes a snake. That's not what he's doing. He is purposefully showing that he has the power, first of all, that he has the power over Egypt. He has power over Egypt. Snakes are important to the Egyptians. The Pharaoh, on the Pharaoh's crown would have been two intertwined snakes. So when Moses throws his rod on the ground, it becomes a serpent, and then he can just pick it up and it's a stick again, that's a big deal. That's, that's God's way of saying, I am more powerful than your gods. I am more powerful than your Nile River. I, if I want to, I can kill you with the thing that's supposed to keep you alive. I am more powerful than any deity you have put your trust in. God is also showing Moses that he has power over creation. I can control snakes. I can control disease. Put your hand in your cloak. Pull it out. Ah! Put it back in. Oh. Whew. So God has control over creation and over chaos. When creation's out of control, when creation's not doing what it's supposed to, God is in control still. And God also has control literally over sin and death. He's showing Moses, I am in control of sin and death. All three signs are deathly. All three signs. A snake can bite you and kill you. Leprosy will kill you. Your water supply ruined, you will die. God controls life and death. He controls sin and death, doesn't he? Well, you know what, Brady, if God, had, if God would just give me some cool signs, then I would go make disciples. Okay, I need you to understand that God has given you the best sign ever. It's called His indwelling life inside of you, His resurrection life. The sign is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The sign, Jesus said, a wicked generation seeks a sign, but here's the sign you're going to get, the sign of Jonah who went into the whale for three days and three nights and then came out again. What was he talking about? The tomb. He's talking about the resurrection. Hey, here's the sign, Christian, resurrection, and that resurrection power is inside of you. That's the only sign you need. Do you believe that? 
Listen, who does, who does God use? Who does God use? Does God use the most powerful people in the world, the most eloquent people in the world, the smartest people in the world, the inventors, the dreamers? Does God use them? Does God use the bold and the beautiful? Or does God have a history of using the weak, the foolish, the crushed, the anxious, the depressed? Does God have a history of actually using humble people? Look, on some level, we need Moses to respond the way he did. (laughs) What if it was this? What if this was the story? Burning bush, hey Moses, you're going to go, I'm going to be with you. Well, it's about time. I've been wasting time up here, God. I've been in this dumb wilderness watching these stupid sheep. It's about time you showed up and got me out of here. You finally picked the right guy for the job. If that was Moses' response, We'd all be like, uh, no, I don't want to follow that guy. Does that, do any of us want to follow that kind of a leader? No. We need, we need Moses to go, but, but God, we need that. We need humility. Listen, God's going to use two things in our lives just like he did with Moses. First of all, he's going to use our ordinary gifts. What do you have in your hand? Verse 2. Hey, okay, I can't, they're not going to listen to me. They're not going to believe me. God, God looks, he, you know, he gives Moses the up and down. All right, Moses, what do you got in your hand? Uh, my shepherd, my shepherd staff. Okay. You've been, do, you've been using that for 40 years. You're good at it. <laughs> I would think after 40 years, you're a decent shepherd. Let's use that. Something I've given you that you already have. What if God just wants to use what you already got? Is that possible? But beyond that, God wants to use your weakness. Verse 10, I don't, I don't talk, I'm, I'm not a talker. I am slow of speech. It's literally, I am heavy of mouth. I have a heavy mouth. May, you know, we don't know. Did Moses literally have a speech impediment? Maybe. Maybe. Or is it, again, just the confidence thing? I, you know, if I get up in front of people, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lose it. I'm not going to be able to do it. Maybe. But God is saying, look, I, I love this. I love this verse that stood out to me all week. I will be with your mouth. <laughs> Chapter 3, I will be with you. But wait, my mouth is bad. Well, then I'll be with your mouth. (laughs) What's the thing that God has already given you, and what's the thing that you would say is the weakest thing about you, the thing that God could never use, and guess what? God will probably use both those things. He'll probably use both those things. And you know why he'll do that? Because then when God does something amazing… Everybody will know, oh, that's the grace of God. (laughs) Clearly, that wasn't Brady. Do you know that guy? (laughs) Clearly, it's not him. Clearly, it's not Moses. Did you see him? He killed a guy. He can't talk. It's got to be God. 
Number two, trust the promise of God. Trust the promise of God. I will be with you. Chapter three, I will be with you. Chapter four, I will be with you. I'll be with your mouth. What about us? Is church, is God with us? Yes. And even more, God is in us. Christian doctrine, God indwells us. That is the ultimate promise of God. Back to Matthew 28, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Brady, I can't make disciples. I, I can't. I don't know how. I don't know. I will be with you. Jesus is screaming this at you. I will be with you, but I'm not a good teacher. I will be with your mouth. Well, I'm not smart enough. I will be with your brain. Well, my back hurt. I'll be with your back. I, I, I got all these family. I will be with your family. I'm going to listen. I'm with you. Well, Brady, I don't feel like God's with me. I'm sorry, but I don't care. <laughs> I mean, I do. I do. I care. I care. Trust me. Trust me. I get it. I get it. Look, <clears throat> facts and feelings. Facts and feelings. We live in a world today, you young people, you are growing up in a generation that is telling you to always separate facts and feelings, and when you have to choose, feelings trump facts. I'm telling you this morning that it's the opposite. Facts trump feelings. I will be with you. Clearly Moses isn't feeling it. It doesn't matter. I will be with you. That is a fact. I don't care how you feel about it. Act upon it. Act upon the fact. Don't act upon the feeling. Trust the promise of God. Number three, trust the purpose of God. Trust the purpose of God. Look at verse 22 and 23. Here we have the purpose of the book of Exodus and really the purpose of the whole Bible. These two verses are a summation of the Bible. Moses, you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. Say, I say to you, Pharaoh, let my son go that he may serve me. That's your Bible. God rescuing his people so that they can serve him. That's the whole, that's the gospel story. It's the whole Bible narrative. It's the meta narrative of the Bible. God is rescuing his people so that they can worship him. That is your life, Christian. That's a summation of your life. God rescued me so that I can worship him. God brought me out of slavery to sin so that I can serve the Lord. That's the purpose. You see, in the Bible, Israel is called, the Israelites here, God calls them my firstborn son. First of all, that's very rare. 
There's only a couple places in the whole Old Testament that, that say God is the Father and Israel is the Son. But this is one of them. This is the first time, and it's very important. Israel is my firstborn son. But here's what, you, here's what we have. If you've, read, if you've read Genesis, you know that the firstborn sons usually don't get it right. Cain. Um, Ishmael. So it's not Ishmael, it's Isaac, right? It's not Esau, it's Jacob. God uses the second-born son as the son of promise. Israel is the first-born son. Jesus will be the second-born son in a sense. He will come in and do what the older brother Israel never could get right. We're going to bring you out so that you become worshipers of me. And if you've read any of the rest of your Old Testament, you know that they have an on-again, off-again love relationship with God and worshiping God, don't they? And so God will have to send another son to truly rescue the firstborn son, won't he? And why does he do all that? So that you and I might become sons and daughters of God. Look at how Galatians 4 puts it. When the fullness of time had come, notice the, gen the exodus tones in this passage in Galatians. When the fullness of time had come. Okay, so it's been a long time. It's been 400 years between testaments, just like it's been 400 years between Genesis and Exodus. God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, under submission to the law. Moses was born of a woman, Exodus 2, verse 1, and he was born into slavery. To redeem those who were under the law. So the Son was born in order to redeem all of those who are under the law. Moses was born as to redeem those who are under slavery. Jesus was born to redeem those, you and me, who are under the slavery of the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Ah, not... It's not just a freedom from slavery, it's a freedom unto adoption. It's from slave to son, from convict to the, the beloved, the, the, the spouse of God. It's this amazing transformation that happens when you receive Christ. And because you are sons, Christian, God has sent the Spirit of His Son, Jesus, into our hearts crying, Abba, Father, we're crying out, we're worshiping Him, aren't we? So, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. That's Exodus. That's Exodus. That's you. That's me. That's what God's offering this morning. Are you a slave this morning? Are you a slave? Are you trapped 
by your own selfish desires, by your own knowledge, by your own morality, by your own efforts? Are you enslaved to wanting to control your own life, not to mention everybody else's life around you? Are you a slave this morning? If you are in Christ, you are no longer a slave, you are a son. That is who you are. You have been brought out from slavery to glory. And so now that becomes our purpose too. As sons of God, as daughters of God, we share in the purpose of Christ. We share in the kingdom of Christ, whereby we go out and proclaim the good news of the Son. We proclaim the good news of the family of God. We proclaim the good news of redemption and reconciliation. We proclaim the good news that you too can move from slavery to sonship. That is our purpose. And God is with us. Number four, we need to trust the power of God. We need to trust the promise of God. We need to trust the purpose of God. And number four, we need to behold the severity of God. We need to behold the severity of God. In Romans chapter 11, Paul says these words to the Gentiles. Note then the kindness and the severity of God. Now, of course, we just want to talk about the kindness of God. But we can't. We don't get to. And Exodus 4 sure doesn't let us, does it? There's a lot of severity in Exodus 4. So we have to wrestle with this. God's severity is always born out of his love, but make no mistake, he will confront your sin. He will confront your sin. And the scripture makes it clear that the wage of sin is death. Pharaoh, if you do not let my son go, I will kill your firstborn son. Ouch. What? What is that? And listen, when we get further into Exodus, Exodus 13, we're going to talk more about firstborn sons and what all of that means. But here's what we need to understand right now. God is mad at Pharaoh. Does God have a right to be mad at Pharaoh? Yes. Why? Because Pharaoh has, in a sense, kidnapped and enslaved God's kid, Israel. Israel, God is saying, Israel's my kid. Israel's my son. And you have enslaved my son. You are murdering my son. You're throwing my son into the river to drown or be eaten by crocodiles or whatever. How many of you, if your child was in harm's way, would get severe? Yeah. You would get severe. You do not hurt my child. And that's what God's doing here. Pharaoh, you're killing my kid. And I will kill your kid if you don't knock it off. 
That's what he's saying. You don't get to own people. You don't get to enslave people. You don't get to humiliate people. You don't get to degrade people. You don't get to oppress people. And when you do that, you better be ready to answer to dad. That's the severity of God. But not only that, God gets angry at Moses, doesn't he? Verse 13, God gets angry at Moses. The, the wrath of God is kindled against Moses. Why? Because, look, they're not going to listen to me. God's not mad. I'm not a good talker. God's not mad. Just send somebody else. God gets mad. Because what, we've, what Moses has done is he's devolved into, I'm just not going to do it. I'm just not going to do it. Look, go therefore and make disciples. Christian, you are called, like Moses is called, you are called to go and, and bring reconciliation, bring restoration to the world. You are called to take the good news to the world. And, and if your first thought is, well, I'm not really trained, God says, great, I'll train you. Hey, guess what? You go to a good church that will train you. We got like classes and stuff. I'll, get, I'll, get, I'll, give you, I'll give you three good classes, right? I'll give you three signs. I'll give you three good classes. Maybe more. I'll give you lots of classes. Okay, God, but I'm not, I'm not a good talker. That's okay. That's okay because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be with you and I'm going to get Aaron. I'm going to get somebody that come alongside you. Guess what? Guess what, church? We got people in this church that will walk beside you. Okay. Now, at this point, at this point, Grace Baptist Church member, now we're at, are you going to do it or are you just going to look at God and go, nope, send somebody else? And for a lot of you, that's where you are right now. You, you've, you've made your point, right? You've made your point. God put you in a good church just to answer all those questions. And now it just comes down to, no, send somebody else. Just send somebody else. Okay. I'm starting to get angry. That's what God's saying. Okay. Okay. And then we got this crazy thing. Verse 24. What is happening? At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met Moses and sought to put him to death. What? It appears that Mr. Moses didn't circumcise his son, which if you know Genesis is part of the covenant agreement between God and the Israelites. Genesis 17, Abraham, you're going to circumcise your kids and you're going to, this will be a perpetual sign. This is going to go on forever. You, you circumcise your sons and then so on and so on and so on. And anybody who doesn't do that, they're outside the covenant. That's what it says in Genesis 17. And here we got Moses, the leader of the Israelites, who has refused to do the covenant symbol. That's not going to work. That's not going to work for God. And listen, make no mistake. If God kills Moses, if Moses just says, eh, whatever, and, and God actually goes through with it and kills Moses, is God's plan in the ditch? 
Is God's plan done? No, 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 no. Right? Listen, here's the thing. God wants you to make disciples. Maybe you're not doing it because you've, you've reached the point, all your arguments, all your arguments, I don't got time, I can't, blah, blah, whatever, whatever, and you've got to, let's just be honest, we're at the point where you're basically just saying, I'm not going to do it. And guess what? Here's the good news. People are still going to get saved and get discipled with or without you, right? You are not, you, you are not derailing the church. You are not derailing the kingdom of God, are you? But you sure ain't enjoying your salvation, are you? You're sure not trusting the Lord. He seeks to kill Moses. Listen, we all got to have a dangerous encounter with God. We all have to have a dangerous encounter with God. For Moses, it happens on this night. For Jacob, for Jacob, his dangerous encounter was that night when he wrestled with God. Remember that? Jacob and Moses are kind of parallel lives. They both, they both do something stupid. They're both running away. They're both shepherding. They're, they both have this like crazy epiphany of God, angels ascending and, and burning bushes, and I'm going to be with you. And then they both have this near-death experience. Jacob wrestles with God, Moses, God's going to put him to death, and they both need to be rescued through the severity of God. Listen, in your crisis of confidence, God in His severity is going to push on it and push on it and push on it until you say, okay, God, what, well, let's do it. Let's go. You and me, God. Duke's up. Let's fight. And that's where a lot of you are living right now. You don't have peace. You don't have purpose. Why? Because you've, you've argued with God to the point of saying, just choose somebody else. Just get somebody else. Have you had that dangerous encounter with God? Listen, if you're a Christian, you have. If you're a Christian, you have. If you're a Christian, it's because you looked, at, you looked death in the eye, you looked hell in the eye and said, I don't want that. I don't want that. I want God, right? Isn't that what made you a Christian? Is on some level, part of it was at least, I, I don't want God against me. I want God for me. And what about today? What about in your life? Are you wrestling with God? Are you having dangerous encounters with God? In, in the line to which in the wardrobe, the kids asked Mr. Beaver, is he safe? They saw Aslan and they said, is he safe? No, no, dear children. He's not safe, but he's good. He's good. Number five, behold the kindness of God. Behold the kindness of God. God attacks Moses. God's going to put Moses to death. Verse 25, then Zipporah. Then Zipporah. She becomes his savior. She becomes the Christ figure in the story. She jumps in. She does what Moses is refusing to do. 
She circumcises the son, and she touches Moses with the blood. And she says, you have become a bridegroom of blood to me. And God leaves him alone. What in the world does that mean? (laughs) What is happening? This is so weird, so strange. But here's what's happening. In God's severity, He's not going to let Moses get away with this blatant sin, this blatant disobedience. But God is willing to accept the work of a mediator. Are you tracking with me? Zipporah jumps in, does it. By putting the blood on Moses, it's an act of imputation. It's an act of imputation. She's applying the blood to Moses so that now God will look at Moses as if he obeyed. Wow. Listen, we all need a mediator, don't we? We all need somebody to jump in. And that's an everyday lesson. Some of we, we, like, like, like church, that's why we're here together. That's why we want another so that we can jump in the gap for each other. But on the bigger scale, on the cosmic scale, we need a mediator that will do what we either won't do or can't do. We need a mediator that will do it and then apply his obedience to our account. Zipporah is the Christ figure. Christ became the bridegroom of blood for us. He did. He obeyed. He earned. He, he, he did everything the covenant required, and then He applies it to us by His free grace. Is Jesus your mediator today? Is He your bridegroom of blood? Behold the cross Look at the cross. Look at the cross of Christ. Look at where Jesus was cut. Look at where Jesus bled. Look at where Jesus was tortured and crucified. Not because, not, not because he was evil and sinful, but because you are. See the severity and the kindness of God colliding at the cross. Can you see it? Has the blood of Christ been applied to you? If it hasn't, I'm I'm speaking figuratively, not literal blood, the life and death of Christ, the righteousness of Christ, have you cried out to Him and said, apply that to my account? I'm Moses who can't figure it out. I'm so, I'm so confused. I don't, I, I'm, I'm still wrestling with you. God, I don't get it. I don't understand it all. I'm not even sure I want to do any of it, but apply it to me anyway. Is that you? I pray it is. I pray it is. And then number six, bow down to God. Look at how the chapter ends. And the people believed when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshiped. They're not in the promised land yet, are they? They're not, they're not at Sinai. Wait, they can't worship yet. They're not at Sinai. They got to get broken out. They got to get out of jail. And then they got to travel And then they get to Sinai, and then they worship God, right? No, 
No, no, no. They're, they're starting early. They're starting early. <laughs> That's what we do every Sunday, every day, literally, right? We're starting early. We're not on Mount Zion yet. We're not in heaven yet. We're not in the promised land yet. But hey, have you seen what God has done in Jesus? Have you seen the sign of the cross in the empty tomb? Have you heard your mediator? Have you seen your mediator? Have you had the blood applied by your mediator? Then let's bow down and worship. Let's bow down and worship. Because that is the only proper response. Get on, it literally says they, they went prostrate. They put their faces on the ground before God. Let that be our posture. Let that be the source of our confidence today and every day. Let's pray. Jesus, where would we be without your mediation? We're going to see Moses become an amazing mediator. Zipporah was an amazing mediator. But Jesus, they both fall short of you. Jesus, you, they, they're just signs. They're just pictures. They're shadows. Jesus, you are the one true mediator between God and man. God, I lift up any heart here this morning that hasn't received your mediation, that hasn't received the blood of Christ, the life of Christ, the righteous life of Christ, that hasn't said, apply that to me. I pray that even now, as we sing, as we sing together, they, that they would do it, that they would make that decision. God, I pray for every heart in here, every dear brother and sister who's had a crisis of confidence, maybe for years. Maybe it's been, maybe it's been for years that we've said, use somebody else, God. Just use somebody else. God, I pray today that you would stoke the fires of our hearts. May we behold the cross. May we behold our God. May we bow down and worship. May we move forward knowing that you have put the staff in our hand and you will be with us. You will be with even our mouths. You will be with the worst part of us, the weakest part of us. God, do your work. Have your way. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.